And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by one of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Mr. Tim Britton. And Tim, you have spoken quite a bit about how the Mets need to get greedy in series against second division opponents. Over the weekend, they were downright generous. <laughs> too, too generous. Uh, you know, probably the worst series the Mets have played all season, right? Against the Nationals. Uh, against team that came really in. against anybody, right? That, no, sorry, yes, yes. Yeah, that was, I structured the sentence wrong. It was the worst series they played all season, comma, against the Nationals. Um, you know, <laughs> losing two of three, losing Saturday and Sunday, uh, seven to one each day. Uh, you know, their, their bullpen did not pitch well uh, on Saturday. You know, Adonis Medina giving up a bunch of runs in the ninth inning to kind of push the, the margin that way. And then Carlos Carrasco. Uh, did not pitch particularly well on Sunday, was not helped by uh, a Jeff McNeil error. The, the defense overall was not very good either day. The offense wasn't good. Like, no part of the team performed well on Saturday and Sunday. And I think what was so jarring about it was that we haven't seen the Mets play like that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. much at all this season. Uh, and so to do it uh, against that team of all teams makes it really stand out. Uh, you know, the Nats, I believe, have uh, 11 division wins this season. Uh, against the four teams in the National League East. Uh, they're like 11-43, and 43, and five of them are against the Mets. Um, so uh, they've still got a bunch of games left against the other teams, which is unfortunate for uh, for them. Uh, but, uh, you know, the that was a, a weekend, uh, kind of a, a weekend that undid the, the good vibes of what they had done against the Dodgers. Yeah, and it's you know it's a good time to sort of avoid Twitter if you follow a lot of a lot of emotional Mets fans. But just looking at like the the brief litmus test you get there, it does seem like pretty people are pretty broken up about how that series went, which is understandable. Like Sunday's game for me, I think was the first time all year when I was like, okay, I'm going to turn this game off. Like there's no like yeah. even even times earlier in the season when they've been down you know eight three or seven two and are early in a game you've had that feeling like they might fight back or may at least make a game of it in Sunday's Saturday's game, uh, I guess for the last couple of innings and then Sunday's game for its entirety, they felt a little bit lifeless. Right. But I would say, and you know, it, I, it would be nice to get all hot and bothered about it, but like the worst baseball teams, the worst baseball team ever still won 40 games in a season. Right. So like the nationals are going to win some games. The Mets are going to lose some games. Uh, every once in a while, like once a season, you might have to stomach losing two out of three to the, to a bad team because it just happens in baseball. What makes it frustrating and uh, nerve wracking is that the Braves just haven't lost in like six months—not six months, two months, <laughs> three months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Mets did go meekly on Sunday, which, again, is, is something we haven't seen them do very often. You know, their, their their best rally was undone when the left fielder dropped the baseball and turned it into a double play. Uh, that was the kind of day that it was. Um, you know, I, I think my favorite Twitter comment that I kind of called out a little bit was that, you know, someone saying, like, it doesn't get any worse than this. Um, and, you know, <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, let me, oh, it let, does. Me <laughs> let me tell you about Mets history. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me tell you about September's past. Yeah, let's um, talk and, about John Neese sprawled out on the mound in 2009 <laughs> when he was the only thing left to hope for. Yeah, and it was John Neese. <laughs> I like that. That was your go-to. Um, it's always like, my go-to. Now you rock you, bottom. You have I was Jake, there that day. Yeah. I mean, you have Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer on the team. This is not the worst it can be, right? Like this is <laughs> and, not the worst it can be. And a, a single series loss to the worst team in baseball is at least contextualized when you had just beaten in a series the best team in baseball. Right. Uh, so you know, I like the Mets. We talk about. Like some people have have said, they're choking or they're collapsing. They're they're ten and ten in they the last twenty, two out and, of that's, three. and that's a bad stretch. Like it's it's really just a, a a factor of Atlanta playing as well as they have uh, for three three plus months now. I think it's sixty one and twenty four since the start of June. The Mets are still playing at a hundred win pace since then, um, and you know it's just they're in a division where it's going to take a hundred plus wins to win the division. Uh, it's it's like the National League West last season. I don't think it's going to take one hundred seven the way it did in the West last year, but maybe it's like the 93 NL West where it's going to take 103 uh, to get there. 104? I forget what, what Atlanta ended up with compared to San Francisco that year. Um, and, you know, that's that's what the deal is in this division. It's not the American League Central uh, where you can be four games over 500 and in first. It's not last year's National League East where you could be in that position and be right in it. Uh, you're going to have to win a lot of games to win it. And the, the Mets have put themselves... I mean. The, the other the inverse of looking at this is like imagine playing as well as Atlanta has since June 1st and you've never been in first place right. <laughs> like they, they they won 14 games in a row did not get them to first place they've played 37 over 500 in a small in, in a three and a half three plus month span still haven't gotten in first place uh, that that's another way of looking at just how consistent and good the Mets have been to this point. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, everything you said, I agree with. You would like to see them now turn it around. I would say the panic button gets tapped, just tapped a little bit if they now lose two out of three to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, I mean, I I think there is, uh, and I'm not sure how a baseball team feels about this. Like, I I compare it to, uh, like, let's say a basketball game where you're winning the whole game uh, and then the other team makes a comeback. Uh, to me, there was always like a real value in like you don't give up the lead, like you you maintain the lead the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Mets to this point have not given up the lead. We saw last year in early August uh, that was when you know the Phillies passed them on that weekend in Philadelphia, the first week of August, uh, and the Mets just couldn't recover for like once they fell out of first place, they never came. I think they came back to tie uh, like a couple days later, and that was it. You know they were done. Uh, so I think there is. Uh, a value in the Mets staying ahead of Atlanta and kind of in basketball, I always thought of it as keeping the game pressure on the other team, um, keeping that pressure on Atlanta where Atlanta's got to win to have any chance of, of staying, of getting ahead of you mm-hmm. every day. Uh, and you know, if, if the Mets go and lose two of three to Pittsburgh uh, and Atlanta I actually don't know who Atlanta's playing uh, this week. I can look that up while I stumble over my words. Uh, you know, and if Atlanta goes and sweeps uh, whoever they're playing, because my my internet is being slow, uh, they are playing 
Uh, oh, they're playing two in Oakland. So if the Mets lose two out of three to Pittsburgh and, and Atlanta wins uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night in Oakland, uh, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, then they go to Seattle and San Francisco. This is this is probably their toughest stretch of the remainder of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. the, this West Coast trip followed by three with the Phillies. Um, you know, if if Atlanta overtakes first place, then I think you get concerned. Not, I mean, not like 2007, 2008 concern, because that concern was you're going to miss the playoffs entirely. Right. right. Uh, this is just, it makes the road a lot harder. Yeah, and that was the point I was going to make, was that, you know, obviously you want that first round by. They are in position for a first round by. They have been for a while. If they fall out of first place, it's not the end of the world because they're the Braves are still ten games up on the, or uh, ten and a half games up, I guess, on the on the Padres for their wild card spot for the first wild card spot. So it's like I don't know, I, you know, and and I said this on September seventeenth of two thousand seven, but uh, they're not at real risk of missing the playoffs here. Right, and they're they're really not at risk of falling below the four seed. Uh, in the the National League, so you would have the that three game wild card series at home. Mm-hmm. You'd still, I mean, like <laughs> there's no there's no part of you that wants to play that series. No. There's no part of you that says, oh, my, you know, like maybe it's good if we if we don't get rusty. Maybe it's good if we only have to play the Dodgers in a five game series versus seven. No, that you don't want you don't go down that road at all. Uh, that the odds of getting knocked out in that wild card series, even if you're ten games better than the other team, even if you have home field advantage for all three, even if you get your pitching all set up the way you want to. It's still, I, I can't imagine being much higher than like 65%. Oh, I um, would guess lower. I would bet like, yeah, I mean, like home team, what's home field advantage worth in baseball? It's, it's like probably five, like 53 five. or 54%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and oh. that's, I mean, that's across the board. And that's something I think people sleep on with, with postseason series all the time. It's like, you talk about momentum and you talk about who's coming in hot and who's on all this. It doesn't matter. Just when the postseason starts, throw it out. It's every game from here on out, you might as well consider a coin toss. There is a slight advantage in, in playing at home, but uh, when two very good baseball teams square off, like if one team won 108 games and the other team won 101 games for the playoffs, like that doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's, it's a, it's, um, it's more exciting than a series of coin tosses, but like predicting the outcome is no easier or harder than predicting coin tosses. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, the Dodgers last season. Okay, they won 106. The Cardinals had won maybe 90, something like that. It was a 15 or 16 game difference between the two of them for the one game wild card uh, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and the Dodgers had Max Scherzer going in that game, uh, and they needed a walk off home run to win it. Like you don't want to go through that. Uh, if you're, I, I'm preaching to the choir. There's no Mets fan who's like, no, I think it's better to be in a wild card series. Well, they'll uh, have more to... revenue from all the extra playoff <laughs> games. Yeah, no, I mean that's not how you know. I, I don't know. I think back on on the uh, the Cleveland team. What was it like? Was it 2017 where like they yeah. just they didn't lose in September? And and I remember when the postseason came, like we we did our USA staff picks. And I just stuck with my like my my preseason teams in the AL had basically all made the postseason. So like out of my own arrogance, I stuck with it, and it didn't include the the Indians advancing. And I was torched online. Like it was like I was public enemy number one among Cleveland Indians fans that week because I dared say that this red hot team might not win. And then they turn around, and they lose in five games in the ALDS. It doesn't matter. Like it's just you're playing against a different team. It's a different scenario. It's baseball, like randomness dominates. That team, I, I actually looked this up the other day because uh, the, the Mets have several, three players on their roster who are on that team. That team went thirty-two and four to finish the season. Yeah. <laughs> they won. 
Like, and then they won the first two games of that division series. Uh, so they, they had a 34 and four stretch and then they lost three in a row. Uh, and, and, uh, that was it for them. That, that season was over. Uh, and so, you know, and, and the year before Cleveland, I think had, they hadn't, they weren't like stumbling to the finish, like the 2000 Yankees. Uh, but, uh, they'd gone like, you know, maybe eight and eight down the stretch or something. And, and all of their pitchers were getting hurt. And, uh, I think, you know, I was covering the team they were about to play in the division series and everyone thought that, that. That was not going to be much of a, a tight series, and it wasn't because Cleveland just <laughs> Cleveland swept the Red Sox pretty easily, and then went on to the the World Series, and and you know came within a, a extra innings of winning it. So, right. uh, and, and you know when we Ken Rosenthal said this on on the Athletics Baseball Show on his Mailbag Show last week, when we talk about like teams getting hot at the right time, we don't mean early September, we don't mean mid September, we really don't even mean late September. We mean October. Right. Like it's getting hot in October. Uh, it's not, it, you know, it's it's not getting hot and going into the playoffs playing a certain way. You know, the the 2000 Yankees are probably the poster child for that because I think they went three and 13, three and 14 down the stretch of that season and then won the World Series. Well, and and don't forget the what was it 2007 Rockies was the same way, right? Where they they just steamrolled the the National League and and then finally and it seemed like there's no chance they would lose the World Series. And people, again, like people talk about momentum and, oh, they had a few days off after the, was it, was it 2007 I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the team where you say like, you know, the, the last part of the season did carry over into at least the first couple yeah. of rounds of yeah, the postseason. They, uh, they were... It probably, it, it probably helped that in, in 2007. And this was, I, I think if you're a Mets fan, you, you know this offhand, but like the, the thing that was so frustrating about that team, that the Mets not making the playoffs was how weak the National League was mm-hmm. that year. Yeah. You know, I believe if I remember correctly, I think the you know the Mets finished out of the out of the playoffs. I think, I think they finished sixth in the National League because the the Padres and Rockies tied for the wild card with 88 wins, and the the Diamondbacks had the best record in the National League with like 90 or 91. It was a really tightly packed National League. So you know the Rockies win. I think it was 14 of 15 to close the season. They win the wild card game uh, in memorable fashion in Colorado. And then they sweep like a Phillies team that won one more game than them. And they sweep a Diamondbacks team that won two more games than them uh, in the regular season, something like that. Uh, you know, it wasn't like they were taking down world beaters. Uh, but that was, you know, that is for every for every rule, there's the exception. That is a team that got hot the last two weeks of September and carried it into the playoffs in a way that we very, very seldom see. And a fun, I, I love that team. But uh, but the point, the point is, like, don't, I would say, don't get caught, too caught up in like, you, you got to get there. Get there, get to the postseason, get the bye, get to the, the DS round. Like, the further you are, the better your chances are. Don't read too much into, like, oh, how they're playing right now, because that could change. Oh, we've seen it happen before. Like, Mets fans, you've seen it happen. Certainly you saw it happen in 2007, um, and you've seen it happen for the good as well, right? Like, everyone's, like, something can click, and, and baseball teams can, can go off. So the point is to get there. Let's talk about the things that might uh, create some issues along the way. First and foremost, Max Scherzer leaving his start a bit early this week. Yeah, so he left his start Saturday. You know, that was uh, a a strong case for not betting on baseball was Saturday night uh, because I I didn't see that the Mets had just a a crazy line in their favor uh, when I was in the clubhouse and it came across the bottom line on one of the TVs. Uh, I think on MLB Network. (laughs) I think they do betting odds now on MLB Network. I don't know. did Um, Did Adam Adovino see it? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Um, Bad joke. No one's throwing the uh, games. So, uh, you know, Scherzer leaves after five and 67 pitches. Uh, he felt kind of fatigue on his left side. He said kind of cropped up in the fourth inning. 
Uh, and just, you know, especially given the history earlier this season with an oblique injury that he suffered, it didn't feel quite the same as it had that night when he suffered the injury, but that he wanted to be as cautious as possible given where they are in the calendar. You know, if he's got to miss uh, three weeks or something, it's a lot harder for him to be ready for the postseason than it is if he just leaves this game uh, and gets himself right. Uh, so the, the everything on, on Sunday pointed to Max being able to make his next start, which is slated for Friday in Miami, uh, you know, as should be kind of a full go for that. I, you know, we've talked about kind of how he builds himself up over the month of September, uh, and he hasn't been able to kind of, you know, the, the previous start he'd gone 112 pitches, uh, but he's been getting that extra day of rest. Uh, he'll get it again before this start, uh, and we'll see if he's able to kind of get to where he wants to be physically so that he can be not just uh, a starter in the postseason, but maybe that guy who does come out of the bullpen and give you a, a key inning here and there because uh, he certainly enjoys doing that. What other concerns are facing this team? Because, uh, I mean, the obvious one is the one we've been talking about all season long, right? Which is that they, it feels like, it sure feels like, even though the bullpen hasn't been bad. And, like, we, we, it's a qualifier we have to say every time we have this conversation. Bullpen really hasn't been that bad. It still feels like they could have used one more arm. Uh, here we are, you know, in, in the middle, of, approaching the middle of September. It still feels like they could use one more arm. We know that Tyler McGill is rehabbing, that he's he's working in relief in rehab. Is that the guy, or is it, uh, let's just hope one of these relief arms uh, himself gets hot, besides Edwin Diaz, obviously, and, and we can ride that guy for the 7th or the 8th in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, uh, the bullpen is where the, the hierarchy shifts the swiftest, uh, no matter where you are in the season. You know, like, I don't think anyone... Uh, talking about Atlanta's chances last postseason was like, well, the real key is going to be Tyler Matzik and what he does in the seventh and eighth innings of games. Uh, and yet, they you know, he was as integral to what they did uh, as anyone uh, in October last year. You know, I actually think like the bullpen, I know we've talked about a ton this year, um, you know, and, and Trevor May is out on the COVID IL. Uh, you do have McGill uh, and, and Drew Smith slated to come back at some point this month. McGill has looked good in his two rehab starts. I believe he has struck out all six batters he's faced. Uh, and, you know, you can imagine his stuff playing up pretty well. The Mets are trying to decide whether they want him to be, they, they want to wor work him out as a guy who pitches one inning on consecutive days during a rehab assignment and mm -hmm. then comes back and fulfills that role. Or if they want to see, can he pitch two innings and then maybe get a couple days off. Um, so it's kind of deciding between your traditional setup man, he'll get three outs and be available on a regular basis, or a Seth Lugo type where like he can get six outs for us on Monday. He won't pitch Tuesday or Wednesday, but he can get six more outs on Thursday. Right. Um, and if you have him and Lugo, then you generally have one of them available on any given night to give you six outs. Right, you just need that um, third night covered then. Right. And in the playoffs, you know, you have off days generally right. in that third night. Uh, so I... It sounded to me like they're leaning toward the latter, but I, I don't know for sure. Uh, and May's, in, May's prognosis, which you don't really know anything about, could change that. Um, but to, to me, the bullpen is not the number one concern. Uh, it's, it's not the number one thing I, I'd be worried about if I'm the Mets. I think it's, I think it's the offense. I think because it's the kind of, I don't want to call it a boom or bust offense. We've seen kind of different versions of the offense. Uh, there was the April and May version that didn't hit a lot of home runs, that uh, had a great batting average on balls in play. Uh, that is the reason so many other teams have, have branded them as a lucky offense. Uh, that they, you know, they hit with runners in scoring position. They did a lot of small things right. They were they were the 2015 Royals in so much as we've seen them uh, in in recent years. Uh, and then in June and the first half of July, uh, they didn't do any of that, and they were ranked 14th or 15th in the National League in runs scored. 
and they went back to it for about a month um, uh, coming out of the all-star break uh, and with the addition of, of Daniel Vogelbach in particular at, at DH helping out. And now for uh, at least the last 12 games, they, they scored just three runs per game. Uh, their OPS was under 700 as a team. Uh, and they didn't look like a good offense. Uh, and, and DH in particular uh, has been a, a struggle point. Uh, I think Vogelbach and Ruff are, are something like four for their last 40 when you combine them. Uh, and that includes a Vogelbach hit on Sunday. So the that position, you know, that again is hitting fifth most nights, uh, just hasn't been there uh, of late. And so I think the offense is still a little shallow. It still relies a lot on that, that top four of Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, and Alonso. Uh, you know Jeff McNeil is 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 really good too, and Mark Canna's played well. Uh, but there, you know, there are times when when those guys aren't clicking, and and Lindor and Alonso have not been have probably had their roughest stretches of the season of late. Uh, when those guys aren't clicking, that the offense looks vulnerable to good pitching, um, and that's what they're going to face in the, in the postseason. You're not, you know, they look vulnerable to Patrick Corbin and Eric Fetty over the weekend, and you're going to be facing higher quality pitchers than that uh, come October. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. See, I would counter that if you look at the full season, right? They are third in the majors in on-base percentage. Like, we know that they don't have a ton of power. We know that their park doesn't really allow for a ton of power. Uh, By OPS+, plus, they're a top-10 team in the majors. Um, We've seen some rough stretches, but I don't know. There's no single guy in the offense who's playing, like, so far above his head for me to say, like, oh, this is a team that just, like, sort of caught lightning in a bottle and and won't continue to hit or uh you know this team that this is the real Mets that could only score two runs over two games against the Nationals uh and the it was a it was a lucky team that won all these games before that because I I I don't know I would say there's too many like above average major league hitters in the lineup for them to be awful for a very long stretch like there you can like you said like if Alonzo and Lindor go cold that's a huge part of the offense, and they're obviously not going to score as many runs as they would otherwise. But um, there's almost no chance that uh, the one through eight guys, who are all going to be pretty good hitters, uh, Escobar hasn't had a great year. So say you know seven guys in the lineup who are who are strongly above average major league hitters, 
it feels unlikely to me that all would go cold at the ex- at the same time for longer than a two or three game stretch. Now, if that two or three game stretch happens in the division series, you're toast. But that could happen at any point in the season, right? I mean, I I think the the, the issue I would have is that. Uh, this style of offense that the Mets play, which is they don't score a lot of runs off home runs. They score a lot of runs by piecing hits together requires more guys to be not slumping at a given time. You know, if you look at like, you can look at the Yankees uh, on Sunday, for instance, uh, when they beat the Rays, uh, they scored two runs and they were both basically Aaron, you know, Aaron Judge hits a home run, Aaron Judge hits a double and scores without another hit. Um, when you have Aaron Judge in your lineup uh, and you have other guys who hit a lot of home runs, the Yankees lead the league in home runs. Uh, you can have seven guys slumping, and if those two guys hit home runs at the right time, uh, you can score four runs in a game. Um, you know, the Mets are going, the, the only team in the National League that's slated for the playoffs that has hit fewer home runs in the Mets is the Padres. Uh, the Mets have hit, I, I think it's it's an even home run per game at this point. They've got as many home runs as games Correct. played. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen, uh, there, there's been no team in baseball that's advanced in the postseason when it's hit less than one home run per game since the 2015 Royals. <laughs> Uh, every team in the postseason. Well, but again, but again, then. like contextually, that's because the fall is different, right? Like that's because th- this is not this is not 2019 anymore. Right, that's true. Um, and we we did actually we saw teams in 2020 make the playoffs with with less than a home run per game, but they didn't do much in there. I think it was St. Louis and Cleveland. Uh, so I just my concern, if I were the Mets, is that you get into a a series. Let's say it's with um, St. Louis, uh, and you're, you're facing. Uh, pretty good pitchers in, in Miles Michaelis, in uh, Jordan Montgomery, who's a lefty, who, while the Mets have had success against him, they haven't had a lot of success against lefties over the course of, of the season. Uh, and that those guys are giving you six six innings of one-run ball against you, uh, and then you're facing bullpens that are generally optimized for the bull, for the for the postseason. Uh, and, you know, if it's not Alonzo, there's no one who's going deep, you know, against good pitching that consistently for the Mets. Uh, they're not, you know... In 2015, like, if Daniel Murphy doesn't hit all those home runs, like, where's the Mets offense for a lot of that stretch? You know, how do they beat the Dodgers if Daniel Murphy doesn't go deep? Um, And that's that's the issue I'd be worried about is who's going to be the guy who, uh, you know, hits the big home run that wins a series for them the way Murphy did in 2015. Eduardo Escobar. Could be. I mean, like, you know, you look at it, no one thought that uh, Connor Gillespie would be the guy for the 2016 Giants or Travis Ishikawa yeah. for the 2014 Giants. I was going to say, I was going to say, for the 2010 yeah. Giants or Cody Ross for the. Tw- <laughs> like, you can. You can Pat go, Burl like having eight. a random good season for the Giants. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's eight different guys who played for San Francisco uh, in the last decade who fit Andre that mold. Andre Torres had uh, Yeah. But, <laughs> so. Uh, you never know when you get in the playoffs. It's just you know, like 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 you said, it's it's a coin flip. But if you're trying to do the analysis behind it, that would concern me if I'm the Mets that you're getting in a series and and you've got you know it's it's Max Scherzer against uh, you know Miles Michaelis or something, and Paul Goldschmidt hits a two run hits a, hits two solo home runs mm-hmm. or something, and you lose two to one. You know, like that's you know St. Louis has arguably the two best players in the National League. Uh, that would be a concern. You know, Atlanta has. Obviously, the power that they have, uh, you know, that the Dodgers hit a lot of home runs. So that, you know, it's it's a little easier to score when you have that home run option more so than the Mets have. Just again, playing devil's advocate. Like, you're right. It's it's one home run a game. Uh, and they are below the league average, but they are 16 out of 30 
among major league teams in home runs. So it's like it's not like they're completely powerless here, right? Like it's just that they don't they don't happen to hit a ton of home runs. And like if you turn on and and we're not here to ape the things that they say on WFAN, but if you turn on WFAN and you listen to Yankees radio call in, uh, everyone is like this team hits too many home. That's what they say. They say this is <laughs> right. so like no matter what the issue is with the Mets offense, we're going to have if they hit if they were the Yankees, I think we might be saying like, oh, what if this offense is too lopsided towards power and they won't be able to chip away and and beat up on, and, you know, run up Miles Michaelis's pitch count. I shouldn't have picked the Cardinals. They actually don't have the pitching staff that that, that uh, has the ace. Uh, you know, you go back to 2015. The Dodgers. The Dodgers. Uh, sorry, sorry. I think I think I think from 2016 on, I, I did this I mean, earlier in the season. I think it's uh, you know you talk about postseason series being coin flips. The team that hit more home runs in the regular season has won 60 percent of postseason series. Doesn't sound like a whole lot, but that's better that than yeah. the team with the better record. That's better than the team with home field advantage. Uh, so that's that's a shorthand way of looking at it. Your Yankees comparison makes sense, and I think leads to our next point, which is should the Mets sign Aaron Judge? No, I'm I'm just joking. We're not going to. Oh, uh, they did. They should. Though. Uh, man, Aaron Judge is going to get a lot of money off this season. Uh, well, I was I was reading I was reading James Wagner in the New York Times had written about Judge and had said you know he turned down the contract extension and now the, the Yankees will have to compete with the other 29 teams that will pursue him and I I chuckled at the idea of all 29 teams actually attempting to pursue uh, a a great player on the on the open market. That's hilarious that that yeah. 29 teams would try. It's like four. The the Minnesota Twins going hard at Aaron Judge this offseason. <laughs> Uh, I would. Be, I mean, I, I always root for that, though, right? Like, remember, like the year the Marlins signed Jose Reyes and Carlos Lee and whoever else, and it was like the the Marlins. Like the Marlins are this team the, this year. Yeah, um, that's what I. The, the Marlin. The Marlins were in on Pujols. Yeah, like it was. They, they went after Albert Pujols. Yeah, they, they had new uniforms. What what could they lose? Uh, it didn't <laughs> it didn't work out that well for them? Uh, it's a, the, the team that wins the offseason, like ask the San Diego Padres, right? Like 11 straight offseason titles and no regular season titles to show for it. Yeah, and, and, a, and a trade deadline title that they haven't played particularly well after. Oh. I mean, they've got Milwaukee on their, their backs as yeah. well. Gosh. So. Um, last, do you have any other uh, besides the bullpen and the offense? I mean, you can't tell me you're concerned about the starting set. Outside of Scherzer's injuries, I—I I mean, I, I think I think the—if you wanted to nitpick, you'd say I'm a little more concerned about who's starting Game Four than I was a month ago when everyone was pitching mm-hmm. well and and Carrasco obviously missed time and came at, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too concerned about Carrasco's last start because he didn't have a rehab start uh, as as Buck Showalter said he looked rusty um, and probably not maybe he should have had a rehab start uh, and and Taiwan Walker hasn't been quite as sharp as he was earlier in the season. He's not been bad. I mean, you throw out the one awful outing against Atlanta, his ERA is fine. Um, but, you know, the game where it looked like the Mets might have this huge marginal advantage, really in every game of a, of a series, looks like, you know, whoever their fourth starter in the postseason is going to be is probably not that much better than another team's fourth starter, the way they're pitching now. Again, there's a month before that happens, before before that really matters. Uh, and, and both of those guys have pitched well enough that, that that could change between now and then. Do you know who the Mets' fourth best starter is by fielding independent pitching this year? I'm going to guess it's David it is Peterson. David Peterson. He's probably not going to be the fourth starter in a, in a playoff season series. But uh, having, you know, six above average major league starters is a is a good problem. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think 
Peterson probably doesn't go. Eh. I mean, you can imagine him starting against if if they were to face a team that had significant pro- woes against left-handed pitching. I would I would think about him more. I don't I don't know that that team exists in the National League. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe outside of the Mets, like you know the 2013 Cardinals were that kind of team, uh, and and they were debilitated in the World Series by Felix Dubrant uh, with the Red Sox. Uh, I don't know that that Peterson could fill quite that role, but you know I, I am interested in seeing what he can do out of the bullpen. Uh, against, uh, you know, down the stretch of the season, how, how the Mets decide to audition basically him, McGill, Smith. You know, I asked Buck Showalter on Sunday, like, do you have the luxury of easing these guys into bigger spots, or you just kind of have to throw them into the fire? And he's, he's he's like, frankly, we don't we don't have the time. You know, we got twenty something games left. This is an instructional league. Like, you got to just go do it. Um, we're playing to win the game, so we're going to see Peterson probably in a spot like he had against the Yankees back in July, where it's you know, left, right, left, do up in a, a beginning. Uh, we're going to see Tyler McGill, you know, his his first one or two outings in, in the out of the bullpen in the major leagues, probably going to be in a, a spot where it's a, a one or two run game. And you're going to see what he can do uh, for three to six outs. So that's going to be how, another... How hard he can possibly throw the ball. Because yeah, he's, he's, Tyler McGill is not going to is not gonna ease up in his first relief outing in a, in a tight game late in the game. Right. Uh, and I was talking to Jeremy Hefner about, you know, McGill has this very like laid back outward expression demeanor. And I was like, well, is he going to be like, you know, everyone talks about the adrenaline rush of pitching out of the bullpen. Is is that going to affect him the same way? And he's like, well, outwardly, no, but like <laughs> inwardly, like, yeah, it's going to be a different feel for him uh, in, in those spots. And, and you're going to see that uh, through the stuff, if not the facial expression. We have a question, uh, a lighter question. We're, you know, we've been we've been diving into the nuts and bolts here. We can go a little bit uh, aesthetic. Adam Fine wants to know. He says, "Have you guys noticed how many Mets untuck their jerseys as soon as the game is over? Diaz especially untucks his jersey the second after getting the final out. I've been getting a real kick out of watching it all season. Is this something new? It's definitely not new in baseball, right? Because it's the untucking thing has been something a bunch of guys have done. Ha- has this been something the Mets have?" have uh have seized on this year you know i haven't really paid that close attention to it because when the game ends i'm, I'm like finishing my scorebook uh and rush, uh, yeah. rushing downstairs for interviews um but uh it's certainly not new i think rafael soriano with the yankees uh had kind of really popularized it when he was their closer for that season uh and like every every Yankees fan slash or, or every Yankees writer or every, anyone involved with the Yankees would have to hashtag untuck when the game was over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so players have done, you know, just kind of like the idea of like, Oh, the work day is over. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like you're walking out to your car after walking to the subway and you can untuck your, your shirt. Um, yeah. It's like to, to me, it seems, it seems more like, like we haven't coordinated. We're just psyched that we don't have to tuck our shirts in anymore. So like, let's right. do it. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's more comfortable without it tucked in. How about right. that? Uh, but you know, I, I can imagine, you know, if, if Diaz starts doing it, then maybe some other guys start doing it. I can, I can try to explore, uh, the, un, <laughs> the untuck phenomenon for the Mets. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I brought it up and I, and I relayed the question because it does seem like teams, especially good teams, like every year, every team now, um, when you take back, I think, and I think this started around like 2011, 2012, where it seems like every team has like their rally thing that they do or they like i remember back in like the mets doing the spotlight thing that was even like probably 2008 2009 like um it seems like every team just sort of like latches onto something it gets like it gets it's baseball so it it becomes a superstition or it's good luck or it's just like 
camaraderie building. To me, the thing for the 2022 Mets is clearly uh, Narco and Edwin Diaz coming into the game the way he does. Oh, yeah, that that is, you know, like every team has, the Mets have the large sombrero that they give to the offensive player of the game. They leave in his locker afterward. They've got the championship belt that they give to the pitcher of the game. Uh, this is when they yeah. win. Um, and, and like, I feel like there's 30 championship belts every major league season <laughs> in 30 clubhouses. Not for, uh, yeah. So every team has, has those kinds Way of better things. Way better than Kevin uh, Ploiecki's yeah. tries, if you'll recall. Uh, but yeah narco is the one that really stands out with that that's what gets everyone going my i forget if i said this on the podcast my my brother and and his kids were at a game recently uh and uh you know there was their first major league game they were going to and he was deciding whether they were going to stay for the whole thing and one of his daughters just goes but the trumpets yeah you gotta Um, stay for the and so they had to stay the whole game in case edwin diaz came into the game Unfortunately, he did not. It was really disappointing for them. Uh, it was the one nothing lost to Colorado uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, but like that is, you know, my, my nieces do not watch baseball, but they are aware of the trumpets. Um, and so uh, I think a, a lot of that is what we will remember about this season, uh, this regular season and, and the excitement around City Field is, is narco. If only your nieces were as dedicated as Timmy Trumpet, they would have gone back the next day. <laughs> they would have come back again just in case. You never know. Uh, and be- and been disappointed. They would have had to come back a third time, but totally worth it if they had. Uh, and, and you know, eventually, you go to enough games, eventually Timmy Trump is going to show up and, and play that live. Like, that's why that's why I'm trying to, like, target postseason tickets now because I don't want to miss a Timmy Trump live performance. <laughs> we have to see uh, where he's scheduled to tour, if he's scheduled to tour in October. Uh, and how close it is to various Mets playoff no, locations. No, buy him out. Steve, buy him out. What do you What do you think it would be like if Timmy Trumpet just showed up at like Dodger Stadium for a Mets-Dodgers game uh, and started playing the trumpet in the the bottom of the ninth as Diaz came into the game? Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, that would be... that. Uh, like, I remember... Actually, this is, this is funny. I was just recalling that in 2014, Steve Perry, lead singer of Journey, who is like a celebrity San Francisco Giants fan, uh, who like you know stirs up the crowd when they start playing any way you want it or or don't stop believing or whatever they play? Uh, I saw him at Kauffman Stadium in the World Series, and he asked me for directions, and I gave him directions, and then I was like, by the way, I'm a reporter, could I interview you? And he was like, no media, and he bailed. Uh, <laughs> so like yeah, it's, I think there's there's precedent for the uh, celebrity musician making that road trip. <laughs> Steve Perry just wanted directions. He didn't need an interview. Come yeah, on. I mean, it was like I was like, you gotta shoot your shot, right? It's like, uh, like it was like, guess what? I hate your music. Just so you know, see you later. I didn't say that, but I do. <laughs> you guys getting back together? Yeah. You you joining the band again? Oh, were it's you in Journey? Okay, so you're big timing me. Thank you, Steve Perry. Um, Timmy Trumpet should visit all games. Actually, on an on, actually on a on a sad note. Um, also involving the Royals. I looked this up because this is with the Timmy Trumpet. Um, do you know that song? Uh, we ready, we ready. Yes. Um, so the Royals, I don't know if it was the 2014 team or maybe the, the 2015 team embraced that song as like their rally anthem. Um, and that was by a rapper named Archie Eversole, who it was basically a one-hit wonder. Um, and I got him on the phone that postseason, and he was like, no, I'm, I'm going. 
to Kansas City, man. Like, they haven't invited me, but I am going because, like, this is my moment. <laughs> um, and then I, I just the other day, I was like, I wonder what happened to Archie Eversole. Uh, turns out, uh, he was on, on. He has. He has passed on. He was. Uh, he was shot. Oh, yeah, it was very sad. He was a very nice guy on the phone. Um, he was. Uh, he was shot. Uh, very. This is a, a grim way to end this podcast. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't go that way for Timmy Trumpet. It would have been much better to end it with just Steve Perry being rude to you. <laughs> yeah, um, Steve Perry was rude to me. Eddie Eddie Vedder um, was like borderline incoherent after the Cubs won the World Series, which is. No different than how Eddie Vedder sings. Um, and the, the coolest rock star I have met in the baseball context was, was Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, who was just a totally nice guy and extremely psyched to talk about the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> we will we'll spend one off-season podcast getting all of your music takes because I like how you drop them in here and there. Yeah, well, I mean, no, this is just in terms of personality. Like, I, I, Pearl Jam's music is fine. It was just Eddie Vedder was carrying on like a, it was like, you're a grown man, Eddie Vedder. You're a grown man. You don't have to be like laying on home plate because the Cubs have won a baseball game. Tom Morello is carrying himself like an adult walking around in the in the concourse with the people. And Eddie Vedder is like, laying down on the on the plate. I just thought... He could have comported himself uh, a little bit more professionally, and, that, and I understand the Cubs went a long way, a long, went a long time between winning World Series. But it's not like you're Eddie Vedder; you're most famous for being a dedicated Cubs fan, right? So, like, I just, I just want to see a little decorum, I guess. That's all the time we've got for the day. If you've got questions for the Metrospective, please get us at on, at us on Twitter. Tim's at Tim Britton. I am at OG Tedberg, or you can email the show at asktedberg at gmail.com. We'll be back later in the week with another live show. Until then, peace out. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.